to bring you God's words this morning. Um, so many memories behind this pulpit. From when I was 19 when PJ allowed me to preach in front of the adults. Serious truth. The River Jordan. Some serious delights. And one instance of heresy that we don't talk about. So many joys here. And I feel so privileged to stand here. One of the reasons why uh, churches have pulpits is to show that that teacher's authority, a pastor's authority, doesn't come from himself, but comes through the Word. The reason why we have a big pulpit is so that I hide. And you know that that comes through the lens of this book. Every truth that we believe, every, everything that we obey, comes from this book. And we have the immense privilege of being able to hear from God's Word again this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and open it to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, that's going to be on page 855. If this is the first time that you use the Bible, the big numbers are going to be chapter numbers. The little numbers are the verse numbers. So we're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Verses 18 to 25. Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25 says this. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what she has conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant. And give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is just translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And he named Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we're gathered together this morning to celebrate this good news. But we know, God, that if you don't help us this morning, our ears will be closed, our minds will be distracted, our, our hearts will be hardened. So we ask, Lord, this morning, by the power of your Spirit, that you would let light shine into the darkness of our hearts. That you would speak truth to us this morning. We pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
this ain't it. Uh, in this month in December, we have our annual men's ministry gathering. We do it once a year. Uh, so we gather at Clearman's to have some steak. And Josh Kim never had a tomahawk steak before, so we split it. We decided to eat together. And winter in, peanut shells on the floor. And the moment that the A1 bottle hit the table, we knew there was a problem. Steak came. We ate in silence. And I have to say, the conversation was great. And after a while, people would eat. And at the end of the meal, Josh leans in. And he says, wait, so this ain't it, right? <laughs> Anticipation led to disappointment. I don't know how it is for you this holiday season. Maybe you have lots of hopes and dreams. Images of a perfect, serene family gathered around the fireplace together. And then you go to your family reunion and all you see is chaos. Anticipation leads to disappointment. Maybe when you zoom out and think about your own life, and your own hopes and dreams, and kind of the perfect life that you envision, the perfect career, perfect family, perfect goals and hobbies, and when you look at reality, what you see is disappointment. I imagine that that feeling is similar to how Joseph Betrothed and his beloved, excited to see all that the Lord would do in his life, only to hear the startling news of an unplanned pregnancy. Little did he know that that disappointment would become the greatest news in his life. So this morning, there's really one idea that I want to make sure that all of us get, especially if you're a visitor here this morning. God wants us to believe in Jesus. To believe in, in this child that was born in, in this passage that we read. We're going to look at this story from, from in three phases. First, a pathetic pregnancy. Second, a prophetic promise. And third, a promising hope. I lost the pee on the last one. A pathetic pregnancy, a prophetic purpose, and a promising hope. That pregnancy... A prophetic promise. A promising hope. Let's start with a pathetic, a pathetic pregnancy. Read with me from verse 18. It says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Mary has a miraculous virgin conception. Even though she's never been with a man, she conceives a child by the Holy Spirit. But Joseph doesn't know that. For all he knows, Mary cheated on him. And now is pregnant out of wedlock. Because he's righteous, he knows that he can't lie and pretend that this child is his baby. There's a stigma and shame around pregnancy before wedlock. But in Israel, it's more than just shame. In Deuteronomy 22, it commands both the man and woman that she cheats with to be sentenced to death before the entire community. 
this type of sin was a serious deal. But Joseph said, not like that. He loved Mary. He cared for her. He didn't desire her to fall into shame and disgrace. So verse 19, he resolves to divorce her secretly. See, he was betrothed to Mary, and that would lead to a divorce. You see, betrothal is not like engagement. Engagement is probably the closest parallel that we have, but, but betrothal already has a public pronouncement and commitment and an expectation that you will get married. And the break-off of betrothal is as serious as getting a divorce. Because he's righteous, he knows that he can't just pull a shotgun wedding. At the same time, he, in recognizing the consequences of adultery, he's also compassionate towards Mary. We can understand why Joseph thinks that Mary committed adultery. But despite Joseph's righteousness, his solution doesn't actually fix the problem. In his mind, the best thing that he could possibly do in his own graciousness for, for his beloved betrothed is to conceal her in quiet divorce. See, Joseph's inability to save Mary shows us our own inability to save ourselves from our sin. Just as Joseph couldn't solve his problem his own way, neither can we. See, sin stains the darkness of every day in our lives. You could try to cover your sin with the fig leaves of isolating yourself or, or cloaking yourself in shame, and God will still see right through your cup and see you for who you are. See, trying to save ourselves, coming up with our own solutions, cloaking ourselves in the darkness. It's like trying to spray Febreze on a cast. The, the greater irony here in this story is that what Joseph views as a problem, the thing that keeps him up at night, that causes deep anxiety and fear, is actually the purposeful solution to the deepest stain of sin. Brings us to, to part number two, a prophetic purpose. Read me from verse 20. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what is conceived in her, because what has been conceived in her, is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant, and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. After Joseph had considered everything, after he had thought through every single possible scenario and decided on what the right thing to do would be, he goes to bed, and an angel appears to him in the dream. says, Son of David, do not be afraid. An angel comes to Joseph, to quell his most anxious fears. He encourages Joseph to take Mary as his wife because the Holy Spirit had caused a supernatural conception. We talk a lot these days about virgin birth. Mary's birth was totally normal. She had a normal pregnancy, normal birth. What was supernatural was the fact that she conceived a child. Right? A virgin conception. And all of this was prophesied centuries ago. Prophet Isaiah spoke of a day when a child 
He'd be named Emmanuel, which means God with us. And all these things would be possible because God said that it would happen. Because God said that it would happen. God with us. The infinite God became a baby. The all-powerful would need his diaper change. The self-sufficient would need milk. The all-knowing couldn't speak. See, this is the most profound message of Christianity. Here's what J.R. Packer says about, about this Christmas message. He says, in fact, the real difficulty, the supreme mystery with which the gospel confronts us lies in the Christmas message of the Incarnation. The real staggering Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was God made man. That the second person of the Godhead became the second man, determining human destiny. It's the second representative head of the race. And they took on humanity without loss of deity. So that Jesus of Nazareth was as truly and fully divine as he was human. The stunning message of Christmas is that God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Veiled in flesh the Godhead. Hail, incarnate, deity. That wasn't the only name that this child would have. See, the angel tells us, or tells Joseph to name the child Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That, that name Jesus is the same name as Joshua, which means Savior or, or Deliverer. It means that this child has a purpose. Jesus will save people from their sins. See, Jesus didn't come to earth primarily to teach. He didn't come to earth primarily to feed the poor. He didn't come to earth primarily to provide some new methodology for how to live your best life now. He came to earth to save people from their sins. See, God is holy. He created a world out of an overflow of his joy, and he created man to be a steward, to care and watch over him. And God dwelt with his people in perfect paradise. But instead of obeying God, Adam and Eve rebelled against him, disobeyed his commands. And ever since the world has been broken and fractured by sin, generation after generation of humanity has been stained with that shame, separated from their creator, deserving to die rightly because of their rebellion. Rather than dropping a rope from heaven and giving us instructions on, on how to climb up the ladder of, of success and righteousness, God came down to us. God's Son took on flesh and dwelt among us. See, Jesus is not like us. He's born of a virgin, completely unstained by sin. He lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. But that perfect life wasn't enough to accomplish the mission. Hebrews 2 says that Jesus was made perfect through his suffering. And on the cross, he was beaten, scorned, and suffered punishment for sin that you and I deserve. And he died. But on the third day, he rose victorious over sin and death. That's the mission that Jesus came for, to save sinners. 
to save those who can never save themselves. None of us can heal ourselves, to cleanse ourselves, purify ourselves from our sin. What you and I need isn't an inner resolve to do better. What we need is an outer solution, something miraculous. See, there's nothing that you and I can do to fix our sin problem. You can't do anything any more than you can cause a virgin conception. It's not that Jesus opens a door of opportunity for us, but that he himself comes to save. See, whatever chasm you feel that you have between you and God this morning has already been crossed. That payment has already been made. That mission has already been accomplished in Jesus Christ. Look to him. See, you and I, we both need Jesus. And the good news for you this morning, if you're not a Christian, is that Jesus came. You can believe in Him this morning. You can turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus' righteousness, His work on your behalf. He offers you true forgiveness. His name would be Jesus. Because He came to save. See, Jesus' birth points to Jesus' death. He came to the earth with a purpose. And that purpose gives us hope for tomorrow. Part three. Promising hope. Verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. Joseph wakes up. And everything has changed. He marries Mary. She becomes his wife. But he doesn't have sexual relations with her until she gives birth. And he follows the angel's command. He names this child Jesus. Savior. See, understanding the purpose of Christ's birth gives Joseph the perspective that he needs to let go of his own plans and to obey the Lord. Jesus' birth changes our perspective, too. It changes everything. But I can't talk about everything. So let me just give you three things that the Jesus' birth gives us first. Jesus offers us real forgiveness. There is no list that Jesus checks to see if we're naughty or nice. Kids, I'm going to be honest with you, all of you deserve cold. <laughs> If Jesus was facing what he did, based on our righteousness, he would never come. Christ, but the Christ, sees us for who we are. He simultaneously sees the death of our sin for what it truly is. And comes to provide us the grace that we truly need. You can receive true grace this morning because Christ was born for you. Second, Christ gives us a real Christmas spirit. A real Christmas spirit. So many songs out here. I watched Spirited with Brian Reynolds and Will Ferrell. There's a whole song just about being nice. Because it's Christmas. That's what you do. Be kind to one another. But Christians celebrate the Christmas spirit differently. Now, I'm not calling you to sit back in your armchair and become a Christian Scrooge and get the hypocrisy of the world. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a real Christmas spirit. 
See, Christians are not primarily about generosity or being nice because of an appeal with some inner goodness that we all have as humanity. Rather, when you look at Jesus, you see the almighty, infinite God become poor because of his love for us. And when we practice generosity, when we practice kindness and love, we get to follow the example of our Lord and Savior. Christ made himself whole. You get to do the same. Lastly, real hope. Real hope. Darkness is real. Cynicism is easy. But the Christmas message of Jesus reminds us not only that light is coming, but the light has come. A weary world rejoices. Light breaks into darkness. Christ is born. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this message, the true message of Christmas. We pray, God, that you would guard us from the lies that Satan may tell, guard us from the sins of hopelessness and cynicism that could easily seep into our hearts. Help us to look to Christ and to find all our hope and rest in Him. We thank you for this infinitely precious gift. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.